Hi, I'm Asia Labas and this is Listen to Your Art, a podcast that aims to understand the world through the prism of art. If I had my way, I think the entire fashion industry would be only sustainable. It should be responsible because we shouldn't be polluting. We shouldn't be damaging human welfare for the sake of clothes that we wear today. You just heard Tara St. James. Tara is a precursor in the sustainable fashion scene in New York. She started her ethical brand study New York as a designer in 2009. Ten years later, she proved that a sustainable company can be sustainable. At Study New York, Tara is using different kinds of responsible fabrics like organic cotton and linen. She also uses natural dyes, she tries to not make any waste and keeps her production in New York. So I met Tara at the Brooklyn Fashion and Design Accelerator, a hub for ethical fashion, where she's mentoring young designers on building their sustainable brands. She told me about her story, her brand, on the importance of educating sustainability, not just to new designers, but also to students in fashion schools and to customers. We also discuss about the impact of fast fashion companies in the industry, the future of fashion, and what is the message behind her clothes. So let's listen to Tara. Hi, Tara. Hi, how are you? Good, and you? Great. So I'm very happy to be here and to talk with you today. Uh, Can you please introduce uh, you to the people who are listening to this? Of course. So my name is Tara St. James. I am 42 years old. I've been living in New York City for almost 15 years now, and I work in the fashion industry. Yeah, I started a brand called Study New York in 2009, so nine years ago. Uh, and that is a women's wear brand that uses recycled, organic, and socially responsible materials and is produced here in New York City. Can you tell me exactly where we are and what do you do here? Yes, so we are at the Brooklyn Fashion and Design Accelerator. I know it's a long name. Um, we call it the BFDA for short. And it is funded by Pratt Institute, so it's an initiative of Pratt. Um, and I also work here as one of the sustainability mentors. So. The BFDA is an accelerator program for independent, sustainable designers working in fashion and product and services. And what we do differently is that we mentor them in sustainability as well as business models. And so we want to put forth new companies that are doing things more responsibly, especially in the fashion world. When did it start? We opened our doors in 2014. Okay. And we're about to have our four-year birthday party in December. Nice. Yes, you're welcome to come. <laughs> and uh, practice institute, it's a fashion school? It's partly a fashion school. There's also a lot of other programs, but it's quite a well-known fashion school in Brooklyn. Uh, we're not on the campus right now, so we're on a different site in what used to be the Pfizer building. But we're about 20 minutes away from the main campus, which is also beautiful. Um, and so Pratt decided that they wanted to launch an initiative that was uh, to help former students as well as the bigger community in the design world understand more about the uh, landscape of sustainability and fashion because, as you might know, it's very complex and complicated. And because it's an educational institution at their core and at our core, we wanted to help teach. Okay. So first, I would like to uh, go back on your background. Mm. What did you do before before launching your own brand? Uh, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've worked in the fashion industry for over 20 years. I started out in the denim industry, so I know a lot about denim production. Uh, I was a designer and a uh, production manager, so I have designed for several other companies, as well as one that I started in 2004. Uh, And in fact, that company was where I started to become interested in sustainability. 
Uh, I worked mainly in China and India for production, so I did all my development there. And on one particular trip, I discovered a, uh, an organic cotton that I thought was interesting. It just came up. And um, once I started to understand the difference between the organic cotton there and then the regular cotton that I was using, I started doing more research because I was curious. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a lot of information on the internet at that time, so I had to ask a lot of questions. When was it? 2004. 2004. Yeah. And at school, you never had a class about it? At school, we never had a class about it. So I studied uh, menswear design in Montreal. So um, that's my background is tailoring, which I think shows up in a lot of my work now. I choose materials that are more geared at menswear, a little bit more uh, basic colors, not so flashy, not trendy. Mm -hmm. So that's always been embedded in my personal aesthetic as well as my design work. Uh, and then working in denim, also you get a sense of very classic styles. You're not really looking at super trends. Um, so, so I think I followed along with an interest in sustainability without knowing it, but in school in, and it wasn't 2004 when I went to school, it was 1997, so it was a long time ago, definitely no information, okay. not even a conversation. Okay. But ironically, that was also before fast fashion was really popular. When did it start exactly, the fast fashion? I mean, the, the brands that are doing it have been around for 20, 30 years, if not longer, but I think that they became really prevalent and important, maybe not in a great way, uh, in the last 15 years. Okay. So um, it wasn't a conversation in school because it wasn't happening on a large scale in the industry. The way that clothes were made at that time, how different it was? It was not maybe slow fashion like mm -hmm. we can do it now, but yeah. how, how, how was it? What was the difference with fast fashion? It was a lot more local. So when I started working, um, there was a shift. It was the very beginning of the shift from domestic production, which meant here in the United States or in Canada, uh, to overseas. And that's, I started seeing the shift from uh, the industry moving away, going to China, going to India, mm -hmm. Bangladesh, all the countries, you know, um, but when I started working, it was really mainly just China and India, um, which are great manufacturing countries. They know how to do anything you want. Uh, and the resources there and the labor there is very highly skilled. So, so it's, it became important on the global scale because we were able to do anything we wanted all of a sudden for a much cheaper price. And of course, that's attractive. Yes. Um, but it meant that a lot of the industry left here in New York and left other manufacturing cities. So in the 1980s, uh, up until the 1980s, New York City's garment district. Have yeah. you have you been? Yeah. Yes. It's it's much smaller than it used to be. But up Can until you at least describe to ah, people yes. who don't yes. know. So the garment district is quite small. It's only about um, maybe 10 square blocks from uh, 34th Street to about 40th Street and in Manhattan. In Manhattan mm -hmm. and Ninth Avenue. On the, on the west side to about 6th Avenue, 5th Avenue, or 6th Avenue. be at Times Square, like take the subway at Times Square? Yes, like Times Square or 34th Street, okay. and you walk up, mm -hmm. or Times Square and you walk down. Okay. But I don't usually recommend people to go to Times Square. It's a bit crazy there. <laughs> um, but So it's in this kind of rectangular shape around there. You can't really tell when you're walking around the street. There's some, some indications, like there's the big button, 
where it's an information center, so you can go there and get information, but all the factories are hidden up in the buildings. Mm -hmm. A lot of those buildings are now being converted to hotels and other types of workspaces so that they can increase the rent. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. Uh, the other problem is that the factories closed down because a lot of the work started going to China. So uh, in the 80s, we produced about 95% of the clothing sold in America. Okay. Now it's close to 2%, so it's a big drop. So you, when you started the brand study in New York, when did you study it? And how did you decide to take the leap and create your own thing and trying to do something yeah. since, since the Nouveau fashion? Right, so it was a crazy time to quit my job, 2009, right after the crash. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose everybody was feeling a little bit antsy and wanted to do something that had meaning and felt positive. I was becoming frustrated with my previous job because um, they wanted to do mass market cheaper product and I wanted to do the opposite more high-end luxury not quite luxury but better made product slow fashion that's what I wanted and slowly I had evolved that brand to all organic materials and I wanted to do more and so that was my inspiration for starting study in 2009 because I wanted to explore zero waste patterns and slow fashion and um counter the fashion calendar, which we can talk about as yes. well. Um, but really, I started it with a small collection of only 10 pieces. It was all zero waste, and it was all made here in New York City, which I had never done before. So that was mm -hmm. a learning process. Um, and all the materials were recycled at the time. Can you describe the clothes? Like, what's the color, like the, the style mm -hmm. of the woman who wear your clothes? Right. So the clothes are very casual. They're meant to be worn all day. Um, and sometimes evening, but mostly daytime casual. They're very uh, neutral colors, so cream, white, gray, blue. I use a lot of blue, navy, some black. Um, so men menswear colors are traditionally, not a lot of women's wear colors. Um, sometimes I'll add some color, but usually it's very neutral. And then a lot of the clothes are convertible, so you can wear them different ways, which I think is part of my aesthetic, but also part of my sustainability strategy, because... That way you buy one thing and you can wear it two or three ways rather than buying three things. Mm -hmm. So that's important to me. And then it's also important that you can wear the clothes for a lot of years. So rather than have something for one season, you can wear it many years. Like how long would you... The shirt I've had for maybe three years now, and that's early. Mm -hmm. um, can you describe your shirt? How yes, you? so it's missing a button. Okay. I'm sorry about that. That's not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I need to sew it back on. It's... Um, all made with different materials that are either organic cotton or hemp or linen, uh, and it's patchwork. So each sleeve is a different color. Um, it's gray. It's, it's gray and, and gray. a bit blue and mm -hmm. white, and um, it's got five different fabrics on it, but they all mix pretty well okay. together. Yeah. And uh, when you started, so in 2009, mm. um, the, the industry, the fashion industry was already concerned about sustainable fashion or you felt like you were one, one of the first designers in no, New York? In 2009, we already had a very kind of growing community in New York and worldwide. So when I launched the brand, it was at something called Green Fashion Week, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was the first time that they tried to do a part of Fashion Week that was uh, for sustainable designers. At the time, they called it Green, green Fashion which, thank goodness, that's gone. <laughs> um, but we also called it eco-fashion and other names. It's, it's challenging to find a name that suits everything. Um, but 
uh, that was already a time when people started to understand. So 2004, I think there was very little information, some interest, and that interest started to grow uh, from retailers and consumers. They started to become interested in what was happening. It was almost becoming a trend, um, which I'm glad it didn't because I think it should be more than just a trend. Mm -hmm. But um, there was certainly some interest, not as much as there is now. There's a lot more now. And about your brand, when you started, can you tell me like the difficulties that you had and um, also how it worked, like the fabrics, where did you find mm -hmm. them and where did you do the production? So you said that mm -hmm. it's mostly in New York, mm -hmm. uh, abroad maybe, so how does it mm -hmm. work? Is it, and also is it still the same today, the way? Um, yes, so there's been a few changes since the first collection. The first collection I did in, entirely in New York, uh, production and samples. Those materials were all recycled materials, so leftover materials from other production runs, uh, leftover inventory from the fabric mills, um, and then some organic cotton that I found at some of my mills. Um, and Where like, exactly? Uh, some here in New York, some in China, some in India, all over, where I had contacts. Okay. Some from other designers who were getting rid of some rolls of materials, which is still a good way to produce, because it was a very small collection. Um, now it's harder to do that because I produce larger volume, so still not huge, but I can't really take materials from other people unless there's a few hundred yards. That's what I'm interested about. So mm. it's a minimalism in the way that mm. we should have less uh, clothes in our wardrobe, mm -hmm. but also how many clothes uh, do you produce for, mm -hmm. like, I don't know this shot, how mm -hmm. many different uh, shots can we by like this one? Right. So that goes along with one of the big changes I made in 2013 to the company. And that's when I decided to go get away from the fashion calendar. And that's probably one of the biggest and most important initiatives that I've tackled with study. Mm -hmm. um, and because the fashion calendar just didn't make any sense. And if you're not familiar with that, it's uh, brands will put out two to 50 collections a year. So the more, the more regular brands will do spring and fall, and then you'll have summer sometimes and winter. Then you have resort, and you have uh, cruise wear, uh, but then companies like H&M or Zara will put out a collection every week. Um, that's not seasonal, obviously, it's trend-based. So um, that didn't make any sense to me, especially the summer, winter, fall collections, because they weren't shipping at the right time. You know, people were shipping their fall collections in July. And so every, that meant everything had to go on sale to make room for the new exactly. stuff. It was just too fast, and it didn't make sense. And my style was getting increasingly more um, uniform. So what I did was create a uniform collection. And to answer your question about the shirt, um, what I do is I produce small runs, so maybe 50 pieces, maybe 100 pieces. And then when those sell out, if they sell out, I'll, I'll make it again. So rather than produce a large volume, I'll keep producing it for the styles that are in this uniform collection. And I've been doing that since 2013 for almost all the same collection. And then adding other capsules, limited edition capsules like sweaters and coats and things that are not uniform. So the shirts and the pants and the jackets, the light jackets, dresses, the jumpsuits, those are all part of the uniform collection. So I change fabric sometimes, but always have inventory so they keep, I keep producing it. And how much is it, uh, like the price? So the average price for the collection is from about $100 to $400 and almost $500 for some of the coats. So it's still affordable. 
Um, especially because it's made here in New York, it's very expensive. So a lot of that cost I'm absorbing myself because I want it to be affordable for the customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and did you have investment help financial help? I did a little bit when I launched the brand. I did a Kickstarter, and so that was how I started the first collection. And then after that, I've done um, one round of uh, crowdsource investment, and that's all. So I've never taken on investors. I don't think I want to because I think there's different needs mm-hmm. and I want to keep it um, very personal to me. Mm-hmm. That makes it more of a struggle, but I think that's not a sustainable design struggle. That's just a struggle that every small designer has. And do you have stores in New York, uh, abroad? How? I, I don't have my own stores. I sell online. But then I also was selling direct to uh, retailers, small boutiques mainly, also sold to Selfridges in the UK, mm-hmm. um, Urban Outfitters, and Anthropology here in the US. Um, so some big, big companies, but mostly I like to work with the small boutiques who are uh, really able to tell the story of the brand. Talk, you know, I know them yeah. personally, so they're able to re-communicate that information to their customers. And on the side, so that's what you were saying earlier, you're not only the designer of City New York, mm-hmm. you also work at the BFDA. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit what you do here mm-hmm. um, as a professor? Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you do? I'm, so I'm more a mentor because we don't really have students here. We have brands and designers who are trying to grow their businesses. So we offer a mentorship program. They have access to a group of mentors once a week for office hours and then access to our materials library where we uh, um, collect materials from mills around the world that are sustainable. So anything from organic cotton to polyester to now some new banana fibers and coconut fibers, things that are made from mushrooms. So really interesting materials. We're doing a lot of research in that, but we also have more basic materials that are Uh, suitable for independent designers. That's part of my my work here is doing that research and compiling the materials and then showing them to the brand so that they can start to source them. Um, Yeah, so they're here for about two years, two to three years as a program. They have access to the space. You'll see all this Mm -hmm. on the tour, which we do every two weeks. Um, And then they have access to a production facility as well. How many are there? Like how many? About um, 12 to 15. Okay. Yeah. So, and do you feel like there's a new interest, like the, the new generation of designers, mm-hmm. uh, they are more uh, specializing into sustainable fashion? Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, how, how long has it been like a movement around the, and in New York especially? Mm-hmm. There's definitely a big change in the industry based on the requests I get from interns. Now, yeah. before it used to be interns who were interested in the brand because of the aesthetic and the fashion, now they really want to work for companies that share their values. And it's really encouraging to see that because it means that they're being educated about sustainability in school. I know at Pratt, we talk about it to our design students. Parsons and FIT both have sustainable programs. So that's here in New York, and that's great. So the students are coming out of school with already a basic knowledge about sustainability, or maybe even a more advanced knowledge. And they want to work with brands that share those values, which is great. Um, the brands who come in here to the accelerator already have sustainability as an initiative in their business, but sometimes they need help understanding how deep they can go with that or what other initiatives they can add on. So, for example, maybe some of them are working with fair trade artisans in another country. 
um, but they're not really doing anything on the material level. So we help them understand maybe that they can change the cotton to an organic cotton or a fair trade cotton, mm -hmm. or um, they can use natural dyes instead of synthetic dyes if it suits their brand. Do you also feel like there's more and more consumer interesting in it? There's a lot of things going on about this new generation, mm -hmm. like millennials and Generation mm -hmm. Z, uh, who are more focusing on what they are buying. Do you also see the difference? I see a little bit of difference. Ordinarily, I want the customers who are buying my brand to buy it because they really love it and will keep it for a long time, not really because they only like the sustainability because that doesn't, we still shop with our eyes and with our hands. And so um, it's important for me that they still love the style and they're not just shopping for ethics. Um, but I do see a change in the industry and in the conversation. So people will email me and ask me where the cotton comes from or uh, how something is made or where the factory is. Which kind of people ask you that? Do you know a little bit more? Like, uh, Unfortunately, I don't know. I should respond and ask them more questions about themselves. Because I was also wondering, because it's also a lot of thing going on in New York. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, the United States is also the country of consumerism. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, there's something happening right now in New York. And we also say that New York is not really the United States, like, like a little right. country in the country. That's right, yeah. So um, I was also wondering if it was something that mostly is going on in New York and uh, Brooklyn. Uh, it seems to be, yes. I think a lot of those customers that email me tend to come from the bigger cities like New York, San Francisco, L.A., uh, but I have customers online from all over the country and all over the world. Um, I'm not really sure if they're buying because of the sustainability or because they like the product or both, hopefully both. Um, but I, I really don't think that there's a responsibility for the consumers to find the brands. I think it needs to be made mm -hmm. more simple for them to just find what they value and we have to be communicating what we're doing and making those choices. Uh, there's a big, there's been a big change in the sustainability world from the consumer side since um, fashion revolution started. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, but can you explain it since when it's happened? Yeah, so fashion revolution is five years old now, um, and they launched uh, after the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh as a response. That's right. Yeah. So um, they ended up. Um, as a response that was helping consumers understand the implications of the fashion industry um, and also encouraging them to ask questions of the brands that they supported. And so you'll see in April the Who, Who Made My Clothes campaign. So you'll see consumers on Instagram and Facebook holding signs and asking bigger companies who made their clothes and how they were made and kind of prompting a conversation between the consumer and the brand but also holding the brands accountable for where their, their, where their production is being done. And also, I mean, what is interesting is that you said in an interview that passion is art, and that so art is saying something mm -hmm. about the world. And, I mean, you have a message of what your art is saying about um, the world and, I mean, the way that you make passion. Oh, good question. <laughs> um, I do think fashion is art, but in the way that it's interactive between the designer or the brand and the customer, because ultimately I can't control how somebody wears one of my pieces, and so I want to make them accessible to people so that they can express themselves a little bit differently and feel 
like they're an independent, not feel like they're wearing the same outfit that the person next to them on the subway or on the street is wearing. Mm -hmm. And so it's not flamboyant, it's not extravagant, it's not very um, bold or bright, meaning my collection, but it is, it, it, I think it allows people to be individuals and to, to wear things a little bit differently. And, and what do you feel like this movement of sustainable fashion be, that is happen, happening right now in New York? Because I see that it's a lot of young and women who are mm -hmm. into this. And I'm also questioning about what does it say, I mean, this movement, does it really, is it fitting well more with the generation, this new generation? Like maybe you were a bit in advance and that you, and right now you are a little bit preparing the future and that mm -hmm. these people, this young designer and this new consumer can maybe change the way that fashion is made? At scale, it's always women. That's mm -hmm. the, all of the events that I go to. That's even true. the class I teach at FIT is 95% women, one man usually. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always women who are taking on the initiatives. And I think because they have more of a sense of nurturing and caring and feel responsible to make change, um, women are more activists as well. So, you know, this is definitely, an, there's a need for activism in sustainability. If I had my way, I think the entire fashion industry would be only sustainable. It should be responsible because we shouldn't be polluting. We shouldn't be um, damaging human welfare for the sake of clothes that we wear today. We shouldn't be compromising the future of the planet just because we want to wear something synthetic, which is not great. So I think the responsibility really is all brands should be ethical. We're not there yet, but once we are, then we would be able to remove this title of sustainable mm -hmm. fashion and not have to deal with it because there's still a stigma about sustainability and fashion. People still have ideas. Whether I think this new generation is really going to take it on, I hope so. I think that there's a lot more people who are interested and understand. I think my generation and even the generation of people before me, so William McDonough, for example, who wrote Cradle to Cradle, um, wrote that many, many years ago, far before I even started thinking about it. And so there was obviously conversation. There was an, an understanding of what the problems were. But now technology has started to catch up to be able to find solutions. So recycling materials that we already have produced, making cotton in a better way or growing cotton in a better way, recycling plastic bottles to make them into polyester. Yeah, and I, it's also something that I... There was an, an article out today <coughs> about... It's also a trend for other brands which are not sustainable, like mm -hmm. Madwell, mm -hmm. who are doing a puffy mm -hmm. uh, jacket. With the they, recycled, yeah. Exactly. So it's only... It's also becoming like a trend mm -hmm. uh, more than, I don't know, like an ethic for some brand. But do you think it's still a good thing? I do think it's a good thing. I think it's, uh, it's unfortunate if they do it as a trend and decide not to pursue that or if they only do one thing and then forget about it. But it's it's good because it allows them to access customers that maybe I wouldn't have had access to. It's a different market. It's a different customer. And so once the customers, maybe not all of them, but some of them will think, well, oh, if this can be made better, why can't this other thing be better? Maybe I should be shopping differently. A few of them will start to think that way and ask questions and talk about it. I think that's really positive. Um, and brands like Madewell and Everlane, for example, yes. are doing things like that with the recycled H&M also has its own also, yeah. What do you think about that, that when fast fashion is doing mm -hmm. conscious collection, but in the other way, I mean, they don't really change the supply chain? Not their entire supply chain, although H&M has some big goals for, for later in this 
century, in mm-hmm. this decade. Um, so they have a bigger impact than any other brand because they produce so much product. But ultimately, the big problem with brands, fast fashion brands is that their business model is inherently flawed. They need to produce a lot in order to maintain their business. Mm-hmm. So, and there's just too much clothing. Meanwhile, if they wanted to produce something that was really trendy, that was only meant to be worn a few times, then they should be responsible to either take it back and make something new out of it, so recycle the material, or make the product biodegradable or dissolvable so that it's no longer a burden on our uh, system, a burden in the landfill. It's not clogging up our closets. So something. We're not there yet. The technology really isn't there yet. We can kind of recycle some materials, but not in a grand scale. There's already enough clothes out there. Yeah, that's we don't true. need to be making more from new materials. That's true. And also I would like to know from you, uh, f- because there's lots of young designers in sustainable fashion now, why is it the best place to be in, uh, in New York right now? What is uh, going on? Mm-hmm. And I see that you're also doing collaboration with mm-hmm. many other So I, th- I think that's the answer to your question. Is one of the best reasons to be here in New York is because there is a big community of other creatives, designers, artists. Uh, Zero Waste Daniel is a designer who makes his own collection called Zero Waste Daniel. His name is Daniel Silverstein, um, and he collects fabric scraps from local suppliers here in New York from the factories and will sew them back together in sort of like a patchwork technique and he does it for his own collection but he also does it for other designers so he took my leftover materials and sewed them back together and then gave them back to me and I made sweatshirts with them for example Uh, I do something similar with an organization that's here at the BFDA called Weaving Hand they're a healing arts organization that teaches people with um, learning disabilities how to weave because it's very therapeutic Um, but then they also do collaborations with local designers to help them recycle their waste Um, so that's great. That's the reason why New York is great. But to be honest, I don't know if this is the only place to be. There's a lot of initiatives in London. There's a lot in Amsterdam right now. Um, even Australia is the first country. Well, Australian Vogue is the first magazine to name a sustainability editor, Claire Press. Um, so that's huge. That doesn't happen here yet. Um, so I think that that is there's change all over the world. Um, and maybe, I mean, I'm going to, I mean, the last question that I will have for you is like about the future of sustainable fashion and how do you see it and like how it should cohabit with uh, fast fashion? Mm. Uh, I mean, do you have any idea of how it, should, how it would look like? Yeah, I don't see it as a cohabitation. I think it needs to encompass everything. So like I was saying before, I think we need to look at circular supply chains and recycling materials rather than using new materials. Um, fast fashion can only really exist if they find a way to become completely circular. Okay. Yeah. Is it possible to dress everyone in this world in, in being sustainable, do you think? Difficult question. Uh-huh. That's the question, and that's what yeah. I'm wondering because in the even if H and M's are they mm. are doing like many many collections mm-hmm. every weeks every mm-hmm. months, there are still have many people uh, mm. in Europe, yeah. and so it's also like how we can. Yeah. I mean that's that's I mean I yeah. don't know maybe time will tell us. <laughs> so. The very academic answer to that is yes, of course it's possible. There's already enough clothing. If we factor in vintage clothing, thrift clothes, donated clothing, 
things we have in our closet and consider all of that vintage clothes as sustainable, Mm -hmm. which it is, um, then yes, we can dress everyone. But fashion is fickle and it's about personal uh, communication and style and aesthetic. Loving something and yeah. to buy it. Yeah. Um, so in that case, no. And it actually goes along with one of the conversations that I've been having with a lot of people recently, in particular young people in schools, about um, the cost barrier of sustainable fashion. So it costs more to make something ethically. If we make it here in New York, or even if I make it in a great factory in India, it still costs more. And in order to make fashion uh, responsibly, it needs to cost more. But that doesn't mean everybody can afford it. So um, that's the big barrier, I think, is accessibility to uh, underprivileged communities and communities that are trying to feed families rather than wear something. And so it's hard to tell them to go out and buy vintage if they can't afford sustainable fashion, because what if vintage doesn't suit their personal aesthetic? Um, there's no one solution for everything. I think uh, the brands really need to be doing a lot more research in order to make it affordable but accessible and also very palatable. Okay. Yeah. So what would be like your advice to like young designers uh, who want to start in sustainable fashion? Or, um, I mean, it's just it's there at the beginning. What would be the best advice you can give them? Oh, good, good question. Because some of them told me, because I, I mean, I've talked to some designer, mm. designer and they said, I don't know if we can all have our own business. Mm. It's so difficult. And also there are so many um, yeah, difficulties that mm-hmm. they have and that people were yep. studying their traditional yep. brands. They don't, they won't have them. So Well, the other problem with that is I'm starting to see more and more people who are interested in sustainability but can't find the brands that suit their their ethics. So instead, they think they should start their own brands, which for some is a good idea. But if everyone started their own brand, it's just going to mean more product on the market. And we have a lot more students graduating from the design schools now than we ever did. Thousands in the United States every year graduating. If they all started their own brands and started making product, it would be, again, too much product, even if it's sustainable materials, even if it's fair labor it's just too much product for everybody. So, um, and I think there, a lot of them are doing that, one, because they want to do something, but I think a lot of them are doing that as a response to not being able to find the brand that works with their ethics. And so that's why I think some of the bigger companies need to start taking on more ethical production. And also I would finish with that because you said sustainable fashion mm. can be in everything and mm. nothing because it's their vegan mm-hmm. brand. Mm-hmm. So also like how are the different ways to be sustainable and maybe some people can only uh, recycle mm-hmm. uh, right. scraps so maybe yep. it can be the answer to their young designers who wants to start their own brand. Exactly. So uh, sustainable fashion is unfortunately an umbrella term for a lot of different things. We created a digital uh, platform here at the BFDA um, called the Sustainable Roadmap Tool. Um, and what we're trying to do with that is educate designers and students on everything that you can do and some industry examples. So it's everything from sustainable materials to local production to end of life and how you wash your clothes and how you treat them and the dyes. And there's a lot of information there. So, um, to tackle one thing and go deeply into that is my best advice rather than trying to do everything and then getting overwhelmed and not being able to do it. On your style and your ethics. Exactly, yeah. And then, yes, it can't all be 
new materials and it might be working with other brands to help them make their sustainable initiatives a reality. You know, like what Zero Waste Daniel is doing. He's mm -hmm. applying this and not putting a burden on resources. So how can we find you, uh, your brand, and mm -hmm. the BFDA? Can yes. you give me some Yes, so all the links. Um, study New York is study-ny.com. And on Instagram, it's just studyny. And the BFDA is bkaccelerator.com or bkaccelerator on Instagram. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Tara. You're welcome. Everything. Great to meet you. Thank you for listening. Go on Instagram at listen to your art underscore podcast to see photos of 2D New York clothing, of the BFDA, and more about the artists I have met and this sustainable fashion scene. And listen to the following conversation with Romina Pirani and Leticia Bordoni. Like many millennials, they felt the need to work with a purpose and to have a job that would match their values. So in 2016, they founded Pause, a platform that helps young sustainable fashion companies to grow. And by being close to these new brands, they also have a great analysis of this sustainable movement.